If you're a sports fan, what is your dream job? GM of your favorite football team, maybe? This sounds fun in theory, but do you really want to spend your days diving down the NFL salary cap rabbit hole? Yeah, me neither. How about NBA coach? Again, sounds fun in theory, but those dudes work on like four hours of sleep a night. And I don't know about you, but I can barely function on six. So how about just a baseball player? Interesting, interesting. But are you going to stay in the box against a Ryan Helsley 104 MPH fastball? Yeah, I didn't think so. So how about just writing about sports collectibles for the most trafficked sports site in the world? Now that's a dream job for both a sports fan and somebody who always wants to collect this. Welcome to Collect This, powered by CSG, your go-to sports card grading company. Here's your host, Alan Goldscher. All right, so I'm going to read a little promotion that I think you'll enjoy from my mouth hole using that piece of paper. Are you ready? Here we go. Check out this special deal for you. Awesome, awesome. Collect this listeners. Head over to csgcards.com slash join. Select premium and use the promo code collect this, of course. And you can join CSG at the premium level for just $99. $50 off the regular price. What? Not only that, but you'll get a $150 same as cash credit. So the price of membership pays for itself. But wait, there's more. You'll get access to exclusive benefits like discounts on select add-on services, 24-7 online submission tracking, and 10% off at the CCG store. Not the, just the CSG store, but the CCG store. Once again, csgcards.com slash join, select premium, and use the code collect this. Get your grade on with CSG. Dan Hayducky, associate editor at ESPN. Uh, we're talking off-air about all the cray-cray stuff that could, might, happen in the hobby in 2023 and all the cray cray stuff that has happened in 2022 um the, the the biggest question mark and i think this is just for dan and for pundits and for collectors and for guys like me is what's gonna happen with fanatics all right so take us through how you felt and what you saw and what your sources saw after the fanatics uh i i, I like to call it a fanatics takeover it's not really a takeover but what did you see in the moment what have you seen since then? And what would you guess? And we're not going to hold you to anything. And I'm, I'm saying this on the air, so you will not get held to anything. What would you say could we be seeing from Fanatics in 2023? I, I mean, I just think that like Fanatics came into this industry in such a serious way and, and they were, you know, valued at you know $10 billion a little while ago. I, I don't know if that's still current, but that, that's more than, you know, most sports teams. So like, let's, let's put that in perspective for a second, how, how much money that is and how much weight that that, you know, carries and, um, you know, them getting the licenses that they've gotten and acquiring tops and you know all, all that stuff um it shows that it's it's really un, unavoidable that they're the you know the biggest brand in this industry and, and they haven't really they haven't started producing cards yet i think that that's um something everyone's waiting for everyone wants to see what that product actually looks like and um you know what it what fanatics in this hobby looks like or hobby industry looks like when they actually do start producing uh i think that's that's a big thing. I know we talked about it before. I don't want to say looming because there is a negative connotation, but it is sort of hovering over there. It seems like when this deal went down, 
it was all people talked about, right? And of course, it's 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 a seismic shift in in this uh, little world of ours. But here we are, months later, and it, it's been really quiet from Fanatics Land. And I know there's a lot of planning, a lot of plotting, a lot of scheming that goes into it. I do know some people up there. Um, they're patiently going through the the steps that have to be gone through to go to market and to get it right. Um, from what you've seen from the people you've spoken to. What's the attitude been uh, since the pickup and since now? Like, has it changed at all? Uh, has there been a, a logical linear evolution to it? Or are people just like, come on, let's get this rolling already? I think like when I talk to people about that, you know, the acquisition and, and what, what Fanatics was planning and what they were acquiring, um, that was a lot, that was really, that was like a big flashy moment for the hobby. That was, you know, that's sports business. That That's real money, real big money moving mm -hmm. in. Um, and I think a lot of it was at that time was planning, but now that, now that it's real, now that it's happening, I think you're right. I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. They want to get, they want to get it right. They want to make sure that this isn't, um, you know, all for naught. Um, and I know that the big thing that that people want to hear is, uh, you know, or or they they want to know is if if uh, you know Fanatics is is buying Panini. I know that's a big thing that everyone talks about. And um, at least as far as I can tell, the people that I've talked to, that, that there's no there's no truth to that. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this then. Um, it all it, the whole Fanatics thing went down after um, National in in 2021, and it, we're all there. The whole industry's there. Everybody's talking to everybody else nobody knew about it right it took the, like the the few people that knew about it did an amazing job of of keeping it on the dl uh could we see another bombshell like and i know you're if you do have a source you're not allowed to say specifics but you can just say yes or no have you heard stuff <laughs> I, I've talked to people about it, and um, the sources that I that I have are, are are credible. And as you know, as far as as they say, that there is no plans to buy uh, or or anything but, else in general. Um, like they're sitting, they're or, standing. As far, yeah, as far as I know, there's I haven't heard anything yet. I mean, that could change. There are times I'll get phone calls really late at night, and it'll be like, "Hey, this is going to happen." <laughs> it's like, okay, well, let me let me get to my computer. Um, that's sort of how like the uh, the tops the tops thing went down. Um, and it's definitely how you know the fanatics licensing uh news in the past went down you know you get a call and it's frantic and it's don't tell anybody and you know um which is which is really cool you're doing real journalism there and that's that's always that's always wonderful um but it it, it does yeah it, this especially with this hobby you know I, I write about soccer for for work as well and and sometimes basketball and sometimes baseball like the news that i get in that regard is never as frantic as it is with the hobby it's always like you know stop what you're doing go home get on your computer or write something on your phone and get it to the news desk or get it to you know your editor as quick as possible and it's uh it is really exhilarating but it's also it's terrifying at times well you guys do do a fantastic job of breaking news uh you're very much on top of the big auction sales very much on top of the business stuff like this so props to you sir Talk about the sustainability of the hobby. Uh, here we are at the end of the year, recording this in, in mid-November. Uh, so we have a pretty good overview of where things are going to land at the end of this year. Um, is it sustainable? This, you know, Things have flatlined a little bit this year, and that's fine. It's a natural course correction we talk about all the time here on the show. Um, but things have flatlined a little bit. My contention, and I'm going to, you know, apologies to people who've heard me yammer about this time and again, is that 
if you remove the uh, hobbies pandemic hockey stick growth uh, and you just charted it, uh, you'd see the slight rise that we were seeing before the hockey stick. Um, is that slight rise still going to be in effect? Are we going to do more flatlining? Uh, is it going to go down or might we see another hockey stick in 2023? I mean, like as as we talk, there's you know there's a the the Luka Doncic logo man at PWCC for like I think it's at like two point three million dollars. Mm. So let's let's also let, yeah let's also like take into consideration that I mean most most people thought that at some point there would be a course correction that there would be the mid tier stuff the low tier stuff the 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 value and the collectability of that would drop out but the high end stuff and the vintage stuff wouldn't really go away and i think that's kind of what what we're mm -hmm, seeing mm -hmm. um if there's stuff that's really really um valuable with a player that's ascendant um with someone who or or, or a vintage you know uh situation where some something like like that we talked about before with the you know the ty cobb rookie bat uh that's all the great flannel. that's a great conversation we had uh off air uh and we will be you will be privy to it momentarily continue dan <laughs> I, I just think that like it, things are things are uh, fluid and they're they're evolving and um, we will still see big big money sales like I still get emails you know every week about you know something that's up for auction or something that's yeah. sold for a, a, an eye popping yeah. sum and like growing up a collector you didn't see that kind of money coming into this space so it, it's definitely it's not going to go I think the hobby the industry is sustainable it just may be riskier than the people that came in looking. To flip stuff quick we're hoping um like you know we were just talked about it before like the um prospecting and quarterbacks is in the nfl is uh is really risky you never know right. what someone's going to be you could have a trey lance situation where you know breaks his leg he, he you know breaks his leg when the lights are you know brightest right. on him uh someone like mac jones who's who's been really uneven uh someone like zach wilson who you thought i'm a jets fan so i I'm, you know apologize about that <laughs> but um it, you didn't draft him it's not your fault yeah yeah well, i mean <laughs> zach wilson is a is a good situation like he's a game manager so far that's what we've seen yeah. so far he can win games with his legs he can if he doesn't turn the ball over he's you know the jets can win because their defense yeah. is so good but that's not what people thought when you know he was coming into the league and thought he was going to be you know you know gunslinger i mean basically. even even so trevor I, I lawrence hasn't blown anybody away it's his situation granted Right. And, and I think that like when people invest serious money into those mm -hmm. players, they expect them to be a franchise savior. They expect them to win games on their own. They expect them to do things like Justin. Woo! I'm a Bears fan. So, woo! yeah, perfect. In Chicago. I mean, he's he's been unstoppable the last few weeks. And uh, even with the, you know, the I believe they lost. They did, year, which is unfortunate. Have, have you seen any movement in his cards? uh i haven't i haven't noticed anything yet but i could be very wrong mm -hmm. about that I, I think that people were already pretty high on him when he got drafted and then it was quiet for a while because it was it was so tough to watch at times which i, I don't have to tell yeah. you um but last last few weeks he's been you know one of the be best quarterbacks in the league playing like an you know mvp level yeah. so i'm sure that we're if, if he continues that then we're it, it could already be happening now we could see stuff going forward with him but but that that's a good example like the risk reward of, of investing in quarterbacks is um you know a few bad weeks and some i you know you hear you know pundits saying you know it's mac jones really the answer for the patriots and it's like he's still very young and he's had a he's had a tough you know stretch here but um there are people that want to you know punt 
on Mac Jones. And that's, it's kind of wild to think about. It, I, it, we can go on the Mac Jones rabbit hole all we want to, but you know, the one thing about him in school that blew me away was his accuracy. And the one thing that blows me away and continues to blow me away here is despite the fact that his offensive line is kind of, eh, uh, he's still a super accurate passer. Uh, and it might be one of these situations where if he gets a better line and he gets better receivers, gets better help around him, uh, hold on to those cards. So yeah, you know, don't, don't sell on Mac Jones. Give him another year or two, right? Right. And I know that you, you see it all the time when you watch like breakers and stuff and they'll take like a Davis Mills card <laughs> or, you know, um, you know, uh, a Kyle Trask card. And it's like, hold on to him. And it's true because you, you never, never know. know. But um, but it is it is a serious like that's a really good, a really good like microcosm of, of the hobby. If you if you invest in the right person, it could be, you know, a really lucrative payday. And if you invest in someone that even has a, a bad few weeks, like it, you could you, you could lose your investment. I, I think that um it's definitely a time to be a little bit more conservative mm-hmm. with um especially you know the economy and stuff uh with your with your risks and with your investments um but i think that as far as that looks for the hobby shaking out i think that that i, I don't think that there's any doubt that it's it's a sustainable hobby it's a sustainable place to put your money it just might be more risky yeah to that end um prospecting right during the pandemic hockey stick People were jumping all over the John Morants of the world, right? The guys who were, you know, first, second year and were the passing the eye test, um, weren't necessarily winning games, but looking great. And boy, could he be the next Luca? Could he be the next Giannis? Uh, so they were spending some pretty big money on the Jason Tatums of the world. And these guys are obviously bestial players. They're phenomenal. Uh, but do they have the, you know, Luca, I've spoken to numerous collector friends about this, and the reason, the general reason that Luca is so sexy and people are willing to spend seven figures on him is that he has the chance to be the best player, not just in the league, but in the world, right? And there are very few players that have a chance to be the best player in the world, but there are, there are players that have a good chance to be really, really good. Do you envision people spending like Zion Williamson is probably the, the cautionary tale, you know, do you envision people dropping six figures on a Zion Williamson, like a, maybe a Paolo Boncaro or something uh, in the hopes that he does become Luca? Or are people pulling back a little bit, looking at the Zion Williams situation where there were six figure cards floating all over the place and now he's just turning out to be a very good player on a decent team? Yeah, I, I think like I'm a little biased here because I, I I had edited a story about uh, Paolo and the Seattle basketball scene with uh, the writer uh, freelance writer Kate Kritschko a few weeks ago. So I'm I'm all in on, on Paolo as a as a player, and he's done some incredible historic mm-hmm. things uh, since coming into the league. And he's only a few games in, but um, he looks like the real deal in like a very scary way. <laughs> like this guy could be he could be like you know um, he could be the next big thing. So I understand people putting money in the and getting behind him i i think that he's he's incredibly exciting to watch um luca is like a, I, he's like a different story his i just looked it up really quick his usage rate is 38 percent, which is it, it it would be you know Embiid is right behind him and so is Giannis. it's early in the season so those numbers are inflated but um you watch that that team play that mavs team and it's like everything goes through it's it's everything goes through him in a way that like you don't see in the rest of the league. I mean, like Giannis, yes, Joel Embiid, yes, Ja, yes. Those are people that the offense runs through them, but it's very much like 
I don't know. It, it, Luca puts the team on his back in a way that I, I don't know. It's 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 hard to it's hard to really describe to people that haven't watched him play. But, but who hasn't watched him play? So um, I do think that there will be that kind of money invested in those people. Everyone wants to be ahead of the curve. Everyone right. wants to have bet on someone early. Someone is going to you know pay a really serious amount of money for for Ja in, in a way we haven't seen soon if they haven't already. Um, but Z- yeah, Zion's a good example. Um, people were all in on Zion from the get-go because he looked like a can't-miss once-in-a-generation mm-hmm. player. And 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 he is a fantastic player. Uh, he still could be a once-in-a-generation player. He's still so young. Um, but the injury concerns always, like stuff like that, always affects someone's hobby value. It, it's a it's always a something lingering uh, off in the periphery um but but i think that as we're seeing like the people that sold and and they cashed out on zion or you know there were there were plenty of them uh i think that it might have been a little premature that that team is that team is good and very talented and uh he could be the he is the focal point of of that team we're coming off of uh, probably about 18 hours off of a Joel Embiid performance that that uh, I tweeted out was Chamberlain-esque. Uh, it was 59 points and like a ridiculous number of counting stats. Uh, it, for whatever reason, and I talked to, again, a lot of my collector friends about this, there is a big man bias amongst collectors, right? Can a performance like this, and Embiid's been like the last couple of weeks playing at a Chamberlain-esque level, and I, I have always contended that if he puts his mind to it, decides to not be a team player, which he has a proclivity to do, props to him, uh, he could put up these sorts of numbers. Do you see, if he, if this continues, right, if say he drops another 50-burger this week, will all of a sudden there be a little run on MB cards, people be willing to spend maybe like, you know, a few hundred bucks on it, a low thousands on it, uh, or is that big man bias just going to overcome that and nah, I'm throwing money at Ja? No, it, it's funny. It's uh, you're 100 percent right. I mean, there there is a serious big man bias. You don't see uh, those sort of sums that you know that Luca gets, that that Cha gets, and will get. You know, you don't you don't see that kind of money going into um, people like you know uh, like Embiid and like I, I don't know. I don't I don't really under, understand it. <laughs> I mean, he's you know one of the best players in the, in the league and you know one of the most competitive uh leagues in yeah. the world uh it's it's surprising that uh people aren't you know you don't see people posting their you know joel Embiid polls or anything <laughs> like that you know so so i think that's kind of that's surprising it doesn't really make sense and i, I think that big man bias is never really computed for me um you you could if you if you're collecting to collect i mean arguably there's very few people that are more exciting to watch than Embiid. if you're collecting to to flip it hasn't made or, or to to um to cash right. out um it hasn't really made sense to to invest in big men because for the most part i mean zion's the last example like that, that was really in flux for a while um and there were like we just said there were tons of people that did cash out i guess i i, I guess i'm i'm rambling a bit but um i guess i just don't understand the big man bias it doesn't really make sense to me i know this because of what's going on at csg right now people are getting their goat cards graded right it's it's a little anecdotal like we don't keep stats on it but that's the one constant the prospecting a little wavy right uh but goats are always a thing what goats to you dan are the ones that are going to be eternal 
I, I think like the the obvious, the first and obvious is uh, is Jordan. I mean, anytime something Jordan comes across, um, like in an email or a text or a call, it's like there's really no hesitation. Um, the amount of uh, the, the the page views on Jordan stuff is just I, I can't tell you there. It's astronomical because um, people always are always going to care about mm-hmm. Jordan. Um, and uh and it's oh and it's always like an an eye-popping sum even though there's so much of him out there you know um his his signature is everywhere and it's it's there's never any like risk of um like flooding the market it's always valuable which i think is really fascinating um for for base i mean like we i just wrote a newser about a babe ruth club that sold the other day for 1.5 million with uh with hunt auctions um like that was just kind of out of nowhere but babe ruth pops up every you know every so often and he's another one there's tons of stuff out there and and i know that there is i I believe that his his secretary signs stuff and and he signs so like there's a lot of him out there um that's definitely like babe ruth always pops Mm -hmm. up uh for for football it's it's interesting for football it's always brady i mean like Brady is the is the big one. Um, we did a few things about Brady in the last year that just like they were some of our most read stories mm-hmm. of or uh, like a newsers of the year, um, which is, I mean, I, again, Jets fan, so you don't love to see that, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, of course, I mean, uh, there. I mean, when it really comes down to it, when we're you know we're twenty years down the line, and you know Brady's just about to retire, and we're talking about his. <laughs> His yeah. career. Um, I, I think it's one of those things that people take for granted because we've watched all of it. And, you know, I was a kid when he started playing and, you know, I'm, I'm, I just turned 33 and it's like he hasn't showed any signs of slowing yeah. down physically. Um, so that's that. and then with uh, with tennis, Serena is a big one. Serena was uh, she, Serena was all over the place uh, as her retirement, as she was winding mm-hmm. down her mm-hmm. career, uh, consciously uncoupling from tennis or however it was it was put. Um, all those, I mean, again, rambling a bit, but uh, there are all those names that pop up that endure. That um, we talked about Ty Cobb before. Um, there are people that are athletes that when their stuff comes up at auction, people will just do whatever they can to get it um i've I've talked to quite a few people that say um they know of like very serious goat collections like that's a that's a thing that people with a lot of expendable income have and they have like you know shrines to these to these goats what's interesting is as you're as you're saying this it dawns on me that you have a really really unique view of what is hot and what is not and what is going to continue to be hot because of page counts right so if you write an article about a John Morant card that sold for, you know, half a million dollars, which is an eye-popping number, and that is a thing, uh, and it gets, you know, X amount of page counts, you could be like, oh, wow, I better get some John Morant cards because he's huge. Or, huh, nobody likes John Morant as much as I think he does. Are there any uh, situations where you've written an article and the page count has gone in a direction that you were not sure it was going to go, and it changed your thinking about that athlete in terms of the hobby? 
Yeah, I, I, I it's it it never like the page count stuff doesn't actually affect um, what I would cover, um, but it is interesting to see what does well and what doesn't. That, that's a that's an interesting just sort of like as a as an exercise. I'm curious to see how things do. Um, we also have. Uh, data where like you can tell where readers stop sure. reading and that's not great to read so like i really <laughs> like that sentence so so i digress but like um yeah you know it never actually you know consciously affects the way i cover anything or it definitely doesn't affect the way i collect because i'm not I, I don't have enough expendable income to really be a collector in this hobby i i if i buy something it's you know like uh, I was a big uh, Jason Williams fan when he was on the the Kings. I wanted to play in the NBA. When White I chocolate. There, when I stopped growing at five ten. Yeah, and uh, I like the other day, um, or I guess it was a few months ago now. Uh, like I found on eBay, there was a a, a piece of uh, it was it was like a piece of history card with two pieces of game used basketball in it from a game he played, and it was like thirty bucks or something. And I was like, I'd like to have that. that, that <laughs> that's the kind of a collector I am. I just like super nostalgic. I um you know will hold on to stuff that you know like if i got like a card on a family vacation or something when i was younger uh even if it's valuable like i can't get rid of it it's 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 about memories attached sure, to things sure. more for me more than it is about how much something's worth um so i'm not a good person to take monetary collecting mm -hmm. advice from i can cover it absolutely fine and, and understand and, and and disseminate information but as far as my personal like collection it's all very nostalgic to that end uh the collector versus investor dichotomy there is you know a venn diagram where there are some collectors who invest and some investors who collect but for anecdotally speaking for the most part it seems like most collectors are one or the other you're in it for the money or you're in it for the love for the love of the game uh and the money thing kind of kicked in the hardcore money thing kind of kicked in around the hockey stick around the pandemic um what are you seeing lately in terms of that dichotomy are you seeing people collecting more lately for collecting or is the investing thing still in full effect i, I think it's interesting because i um so you know to make a long story short i the first uh card story that i ever pitched at espn was in like late 2019 um and i had seen a bunch of you know wall street money going into this this industry and like was was eye-popping and it was a it was an industry that i was i knew from growing mm -hmm. up and I was like, I kind of thought this went away. I thought it, and I didn't think it was, um, you know, as crazy as, you know, the figures that we were seeing at that time were. Um, so I pitched that. Uh, I started doing some pre-reporting in early 2020. And then obviously everything shut down. I went to a, a, like a ski weekend with friends um, in Vermont. And while we were there, like everything got shut down, came home, didn't go back to ESPN for two years. Um, and i thought that story was dead and so as i'm doing this I, i'm telling them that, you know hey we'll we'll you know pick it up at some time we'll you know but i've been watching stuff from home i'm like i talked to my editor at the time he was uh he's not he's not around. he's at the new york times now but um he was like oh i think that you have more of a story now i don't think that you know this has to go mm -hmm. away like how do you feel about reporting it from home and i was like sure we're gonna be here a while, so <laughs> sounds yeah. great and like i i reported that story like throughout the uh the summer of 2020 and you know by the end uh it was like october when it finally published and it was like it was a serious thing at that point it was like unavoidable everyone was talking about cards people were going back under their right, beds right. and pulling out their shoe boxes and all that stuff um 
that, that like consumed us in a big way during during the pandemic. So I know that most of the questions that we had had early on were, is it sustainable? Is it a flash in the pan? Is it going away? And I do think this pandemic helped, you know, really revitalize and bring back a hobby to the, the zeitgeist in a serious mm-hmm. way. Um, and yeah, I think um, I really I had a point. And I don't know what it is now. Uh, investor, but. collector, more or less. <laughs> investor, collector, right, right. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I think I think there are people that saw what was happening and they got involved because they they knew they could make money. And those people, I think, are the people that are angriest about it not being as you know uh, as like foolproof yeah, as it was at the yep. beginning. Um, and I do, I do see like being at the, at the National Atlantic City last time. I did see a lot of people who and I did hear and talk to a lot of people who were talking about getting their kids involved and uh, collecting for the sake of nostalgia. And oh, I've wanted this since I was you know thirteen, but I couldn't afford it then, and I can afford it now. Or you know, um, I, I just think like you you need people that are collectors just for the sake of collecting. Um, and I, I think that there is. I think I've called them in the past uh, cards, uh, totems of nostalgia. I think nice. that they really allow us to act. I, for me, like memory is such an important thing and telling stories, obviously biased, but telling stories is vital and stuff like this, stuff like cards allows you to access those mm-hmm. memories and tell stories and put yourself in a place and time. And I, I think that just me, I, I veer towards the collector as we just talked about, but um, I think that's why they're important. I think that they, allow us to access things that we thought previously lost i think we can safely say that um collectors are the lifeblood of the hobby you know the the investors the five six seven figure sales those are the ones that make the news but the guys that go to the card shows the guys that go to the card stop shops the guys that you know order their stuff their few hundred dollars worth of stuff online that's what sustains the hobby um it's it's just interesting to see the the ups and downs of the whole thing um speaking of this and, okay. and actually we did talk about this we talked about this before um was that uh you know you said like i have a very unique vantage point here um being someone who knows the hobby who also reports yeah. on it now i think that yeah it, it is it is difficult to tell stories sometimes long-form stories about um about this hobby this industry because it's it's very static it's it's very much like hard to describe to a reader why something is interesting when it has to do with you know basically just interpersonal stuff and a physical piece of you know cardstock but um and we're competing against actual sports news so like when we do get to break news or we do get to tell you know god willing a long-form story like i just did a me and my colleague anthony Oliveri just wrote a piece on that dominguez super fracker yeah. and um the whole how that how that sale happened and, and prospecting in general and like being able to tell a long form story uh, of that length about that topic in 2022 that ended up leading page one at ESPN. It's like, man, it's it's wild to think about. I didn't think that was going to be possible, but it it it, it has happened. I think you'll appreciate this then. Uh, at a previous podcast I used to do, a uh, hobby centric podcast, uh, I would begin it with three news stories. Right, this was um, pandemic time. And there were always three news stories every day. Every Monday through Friday, I had something to finger quote report on. Uh, that dried up probably around, let's say, the, the things went down in March. I'd say like by November of that year, no, that maybe December, uh, things settled down a little bit. And, you know, as you said, it went a little more static. Um, speaking of nostalgia, 
Let's talk about a couple of baseball players that have been making a lot of noise, but not the players you would think of, right? Uh, Ty Cobb and Shoeless Joe Jackson. Uh, speaking from uh, a personal encounter with a really, really big time spending uh, collector, Shoeless Joe is beloved amongst high end collectors. Uh, people are willing to spend, mil- in, in the case of a, a, a photograph that sold, uh, I believe it was last year, uh, over $1.5 million. Uh, and Ty Cobb, the, uh, recently a Ty Cobb bat sold for seven figures. Uh, talk to me, Dan, about Cobb and Jackson, why they're special, what they, what they represent uh, to collectors, and whether uh, we will see any other baseball player from the early 20th century emerge as a collector's darling. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, you're, you're talking about two really divisive people there, right? And um, I think that that it's not it's not surprising that america loves uh divisive people and uh they're <laughs> Co- cobb and jackson exist in the gray you know there are people that you know think they're an incredible and there are people that think they're you know they have their opinions the opposite way uh i know jackson was is, is interesting because i was uh, i was doing a piece on uh like valuable missing memorabilia last year mm. and i t- i dove into a lot of research about Jackson because there was, um, I can't remember what it was that was missing of his, but um, there was all this debate over, you know, obviously the, the Black Sox scandal. Um, that's the thing that you, you think about, you know, say it in Sojo. Um, but I didn't realize how much back and forth there was about that whole uh, that whole situation. Like he he admitted to it and then he took it back. He said he was coerced and there's was, was all over the place. So it makes sense that you know 100 plus years later there would be people that are you know viewing him in a different light uh, i think that's that's really interesting and yeah he said the, the picture that that signed photos over 1.47 million dollars about a year ago which is wild to think about um but crazy yeah i mean i i, I think that anytime that there is um uh division among how someone is viewed um that really makes for someone that has staying power uh i mean not to we're not going to turn this into a taylor swift podcast but that's why taylor swift has <laughs> endured because there are there are people that are so fervent on one side and then there are people that feel very strongly the other way and regardless of where you fall on that that's what propels them uh people in general people in the public light that's what propels them forward i think um i i'm going to restrain myself from singing shake it off right now yeah. because yeah. i'm a kind warm fuzzy <laughs> podcast host all right enough of this baseball stuff enough of this card stuff let's talk about you dan um i discovered your work uh on espn like like all collectors did most likely through your long form pieces right they're really good uh they're really well researched you can tell you spend a lot of time on them you get it right it's just hugely important for you know especially for an outlet like espn um how awesome is it that you get to do these you know two three four five thousand word articles for the most trafficked sports site in the world i I mean just hearing that is wild hearing that there's people that are familiar with my work in general is wild like i still remember like when i was um in grad school i went to grad school at fairfield for creative writing i still remember doing articles for like twenty dollars like on like reviewing tv shows so um 
Yeah, the the fact that like there's people that come to ESPN to read my stuff is it I doesn't compute, doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Um, so that's I appreciate that a lot. Um, yeah, writing, getting to write long form stuff. The 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 group that I'm in is enterprise journalism. It's it's you know strictly long form stuff, but we get to go outside and and work with other groups too. Um, I, I think it's um it's it's crazy that. It's, we get to do it and um yeah there you know we were well researched because i did grow up a collector and there are things that uh i'm familiar with or, or know that you know um the average editor there isn't familiar mm -hmm. with and um that that's definitely been really helpful um but yeah it it, it is wild to go on to that website and you know there's like i think it's like 80 million monthly viewers for that like that many people can see something about you know jason dominguez yeah. prospecting or you know uh i don't remember if it was a year and a half ago i wrote a piece with tisha thompson this incredible investigative journalist um about the the honus wagner card the lore behind the Honus wagner yeah. card um like <laughs> it's just um yeah, it's it's crazy that we get to do it, and uh, I'm really happy that we do, and that people like it, and that people. I think the, what you just said about getting it right was the most important thing. Uh, I'm always worried about whether you know um, something rings true, or um, if something is you know if we're, if we're overstepping or something like that. Um, but I, I don't know. It's I'm just going to keep doing it until they tell me not to anymore, right? <laughs> now you're lucky. I haven't so. done uh, written for a number of of high end outlets myself. Um, it's rare that you do get the freedom to do what you do, and uh, it's it's when that happens, you you definitely embrace it and uh, respect it. So to that end, uh, get us in the weeds for a second. Take us uh, through an article from conception to realization. Sure. Um, I, I think that, that's that's actually what I was going to say. It is incumbent on me to make someone who's not interested in the hobby an yep. editor yep. or um, you know or or, or or a producer or something to make them interested in the story. That that's my job. That's my job as someone who's pitching to pique their interest. Um, so I think with with the Dominguez story is Dominguez is actually a really good example because um, my colleague Anthony. Uh, he's not not a collector. He's he's just a very good journalist. He like messaged me one day and was like, "Hey, did you see this Dominguez card sold for four hundred and seventy four thousand dollars?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, I did. That was kind of wild, huh?" <laughs> and that was that was like the conversation. And like I had at this point, I had been so like um, desensitized to big sales that I was sort of like, "Yeah, that was crazy. I can't believe someone did that." And he's like don't you think that's worth going into and i was like i would if we can convince someone to go into that that's great um so we pitched to an editor and you know explained why dominguez who at the time of that sale had like 57 professional games under his belt or something like that why that was crazy and why it was um emblematic of this it was like the pinnacle of this prospecting yeah, yeah. you know uh that it's like in a serious way we've never seen someone pay that much money on a player that was so unknown um and i had did some you know re research i know ryan cracknell from from beckett is you know awesome and i had a long conversation with him about uh prospecting in in general and i and he said at one point he's like i think i, I believe that's the most ever played for someone before they hit double a and i was like yeah okay so we've got something there and getting access to people um talking to them about trends and like all that stuff informs and improves the original thesis which was 
I can't believe that that happened. That's crazy. Is how rare yeah. is that? Um, and it's just like being interested and being curious and and you know um, turning over, uh, you know every, every leaf and um, yeah, I, I just. I know that this isn't what you asked, but basically, <laughs> I'll give you the nuts and bolts. Is become become interested in something, pitch it. If someone is immediately interested, your job your job becomes easier. If they're not, it's your job to make them interested. Yeah. And, and until until you hit a point where they say like, listen, it's probably not going to happen. Um, there's the door is open. You know, um, I think with card with card stuff, it is more difficult because, uh, like I said before, we're competing with actual sports news right. we're competing with you know um we're, we're competing with breaking news we're competing with long form stuff we're competing so to tell a long form sports card or hobby story it really has to clear a pretty high bar um the news stuff the breaking news is is different it's very much like is this of public interest uh why is it special is there something about it like with that babe ruth club that was the the highest selling baseball glove of all so it was pretty easy um but it is very much just pitch all the time and um if you once you get green lit it's like well now, now it's time to get to work and it's a lot of research before any writing starts and it's a lot of sometimes it's a lot of pre-reporting mm -hmm. which is basically just like proof to us that there's something here before we actually green light it um and then just a lot of conversations with different people and you can't have too much of one voice or one topic you have to be uh, straight down the middle, you have to be unbiased. You have to be uh, someone who presents all sides of the argument. Um, so, yeah, it's it's there's a there's a lot of work. It's usually for my group. It's usually if I'm writing long form journalism, it's usually months of reporting. Um, it's usually not, you know, breaking news is a is a day, a few hours. Um, but long form journalism is like months, usually sometimes years. That first, like I said, that first story that I wrote, that was like uh, a year plus from from pitch to final products. So. Uh, bear in mind, uh, listeners, that we're recording this on November 14th. Uh, what are you working on right now? What can we expect to see uh, under your byline in the coming weeks and months? Uh, what I'm working on right now, uh, there's two stories that I'm working on that don't have anything to do with uh, the hobby or the industry. So uh, I can talk about that if you're give me you're give up, me some thumbnails, man. Sure. Um, yeah. So um, I'm writing a profile on uh, U.S. men's national team goalkeeper Matt Turner. What timing? Like we are a week away from the the World Cup kicking off. Right. It's it should be out um, in a few days, but so it might this this might not be out before it, it publishes, but. Um, he, they play on the 21st so a week from today uh turner is this he he's this incredible story he was a um he went to fairfield ah. uh, fairfield for grad school very uh interesting story uh so i played uh soccer at fordham in southern connecticut i was a goalkeeper and when i went to grad school at fairfield i still had a year of eligibility left so they had some injuries and uh a, fr a friend on the team reached out and said hey do you still have your medical red shirt they, they need a goalie there's some injuries and i went through the process of talking to the coaches and it, it didn't work out the clearinghouse stuff said that my my eligibility had expired mm. but if i had played on that team i would have been teammates oh how funny is that who so it's it's wild um so anyway long story short he's a walk he basically tries out to walk on at fairfield mm -hmm. um he doesn't play very much his first year his second year he has this disastrous uh on-field blunder that becomes it's on sports centers not top 10 it's it's really it's bad it was like competing with the butt fumble for like not top uh -huh. 10 top or something like that um 
long story short, after that, he he sets records at Fairfield. He doesn't get drafted, but he ends up in the MLS. Pretty soon, he's the MLS goalkeeper of the year. Pretty soon, he's playing for the national team. Now, it's he's sixth all-time in shutouts for the national team after like a year, almost two years of playing. And he's he, he plays for Arsenal in the Premier League. He's just this incredible story, this incredible young man. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see how it goes. But uh, I just submitted the draft late last night. So we're, we're, that's, we're, we're pretty far into that. Um, the other one is really in the weeds and weird so i'm gonna apologize to you and your uh, oh no i like weeds go (laughs) (laughs) um so there's a bill going through congress uh at the moment that would ban uh kangaroo leather products in the united Ah. states and that that's important for okay so you're not in the weeds you're in the eucalyptus boom (laughs) yeah There, it's important for sports because uh, the, there's a lot of like there's like 70 models of high end soccer cleats that get made with Jesus. kangaroo leather. So, so the most expensive soccer cleats are usually not always the case anymore because there's a lot of companies that are moving sustainably. Um, but they're usually like two or three hundred dollars, and they're made of K leather is how they branded it. So, um, I'm doing some reporting on what that bill, if it got through, would mean um, to the soccer footwear mm-hmm. industry and um, and the interesting thing about it is that australia in general is like wildly overrun with kangaroos there's um there's two to every uh one australian human there's like 40 million kangaroos in australia so they actually need to get rid of they need to call their population because they're a scourge on the environment so it's a really this is what we talked about before the gray the gray area there's it's it's an issue that there's really not a right or a wrong answer yeah. to there's a lot of space in the middle and that's why i, I really gravitate towards stuff like that it's really interesting there's no you're not right or wrong if you feel a certain way about and something. kangaroos are just freaking cute too all right before i let you go sir uh give me a bold prediction give me a bold 2023 prediction for the hobby the, the weirdest thing you can think of we will not hold you to it but come november 2023 when you nail it we can come back to you and say, damn, look at this. The weirdest thing I can think of, uh, man. I mean, so the, the interesting thing is that we've seen stuff that doesn't make sense. Like, I don't want to say it doesn't make sense. I don't want to be uh, rude to anybody, but like Formula One being a huge right. deal for the hobby is like stuff like that. You can't really, it's like, why did that happen? Because of a Netflix series that brought, you know, attention to the sport. Yeah. And then there's, you know, I don't know if we're, if we'll see something like that. I, I I think that um I do like the idea that maybe the big man bias goes Ooh. away. Like I think that would be really nice if like Joel Embiid had like you know a six figure card or something like that. You know, um or like Jokic. Like we haven't seen nothing. You know something nothing. like Jokic. Nothing. Um and and he's arguably you know one of the most exciting players in you know decades um my mom was a college basketball player and she's like is Jokic playing tonight <laughs> like she loves watching them play um so i think it maybe it's time that that goes away and i don't know who's going to be the person to i don't know who the figure uh the, the athlete to to buck that trend will be or the person who's going to put up the money to do so but in in 2022 we just have so many exciting big men in the nba yeah. it, it doesn't make sense that their you know hobby collectability or investability um lags behind so all right well next time you're on we're gonna have a half hour discussion about quarterback bias in the nfl uh dan hey ducky thank you so much for taking the time check out his stuff on the uh the espn.com and uh yeah 
all good good stuff dan thank you thanks for having me appreciate it whether it's a 1986 Michael Jordan Fleer rookie card, a Tom Brady playoff contenders rookie card from 2000, or, I don't know, a Marv Throneberry card that came out of a post cereal box in 1963, and yes, that's a thing, Certified Sports Guarantee will grade your sports cards quickly and accurately. A subsidiary of Certified Collectibles Group, CSG graded over 1 million cards in its first year plus on the sports collecting scene, the fastest any grading company has hit that mark. The speedy turnaround times provided by the knowledgeable, passionate team of expert sports car graders will make your CSG experience smooth, efficient, and most importantly, fair. Regardless of the athlete, the sport, or the condition of your card, CSG will treat it with the love and respect it deserves. For more information about CSG, visit csgcards.com. That's CSG, your go-to sports card grading company. We hope you enjoyed Collect This, powered by CSG. Collect This was hosted, written, produced, engineered, and scored by Alan Goldscher. If you have any comments or questions, please email us at collectthis at csgcards.com. 